From the Medical Republic, I'm Francine Crimmins. This is The Tea Room. An Australian study into the origins of the COVID-19 outbreak has gained international attention this week after providing more evidence to suggest that a lab leak theory isn't so far-fetched after all. The study out of Flinders University used modelling of the original SARS-CoV-2 virus to predict its ability to infect humans and 12 other domestic and exotic animals. But to the surprise of the research team, the results found that the binding of the SARS-CoV-2 protein was higher for human ACE2 than any other species tested. The scientists said that if one of the animal species tested was the origin, it would normally have shown the highest binding to the virus. This episode, we're joined by Professor Nikolai Petrovsky, a physician, academic, and co-author from the College of Medicine and Public Health at Flinders University. Professor Petrovsky, thank you so much for joining me. It's a pleasure. If we look first at the results of your study, could you tell us what the response has been? So we've had very positive feedback, um, you know, from people uh, around the world, in fact, to the publication of our paper in Nature Scientific Reports, uh, where we modelled the COVID-19 virus and and then were able to analyse which species um, it it was best adapted to, to infect. And, of course, we found to our surprise that that was humans, um, which was not what we were expecting to find. In the ideal world, you know, science is science and politics is politics, but there's been a great deal of crossover in the way that the pandemic has been investigated, particularly when it comes to the origins. What are your thoughts on that? So the the origins of COVID-19 are very important for us to get to the bottom of because obviously we if, if we can do that we can understand how did this happen and how do we prevent a future pandemic and and clearly you know that question is a scientific question um you know we have to try and take the politics out of it um and and address this in a scientific fashion and 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 try and identify uh, where did this virus first arise? And in terms of how your study has lined up with some other studies, could you talk more specifically about how you found the ACE receptor in bats uh, wasn't compatible with COVID-19? So we were doing computer modelling of the, the virus and, and also the ACE2 receptors from a whole variety of um different species, uh, including obviously bats and humans, but a whole lot of exotic animals like uh, pangolins and, and uh, you know, farm animals and, and domestic cats and dogs. And uh, what we were able to show is that the, the virus was extremely well adapted to infect humans. They, in fact, were um, at the very top of, of the list. Um, it wasn't uh, adapted to actually uh, bind and infect bat cells. So really that excluded the bats as the direct um, source of this virus, although, of course, it doesn't mean that uh, a distant ancestor of this virus might have come from bats because we know bats are a common uh, breeding ground of coronaviruses, but it showed that this virus hadn't directly crossed from a bat to a human, you know, opening up the possibility either that the virus had at some point in in the distant past transmitted to uh, an animal vector and had adapted to that animal and then had been able to jump from an animal to a human 
Or, of course, the other possibility is, in fact, it didn't come from an animal at all. It had actually come out of a, you know, a petri dish in a laboratory where it may have been uh, being understudy for, for other reasons. So, um, as I say, I think the, the major conclusion of our work is this virus didn't come directly from a bat to a human, um, uh, which had been suggested as one of the, the sources of this virus. What do we need to do now in terms of investigation? Obviously, there are other animal species that haven't been studied, but what would we need to do to further investigate the origins of the virus and the lab leak theory, for example? So there are two things, because there's still the two possibilities which, you know, we can't discount. One one is that there is an, an animal source of the virus out there somewhere, that hasn't been identified. Uh, if there is, that's a concern because it could mean that that animal will transmit new coronaviruses across to humans. Um, so it's very important if that animal exists that we find it. But it, it's also possible, of course, that that animal doesn't exist because this virus came out of a laboratory. And um, so the question then is how, how do we prove or, or establish that a virus came out of laboratory. And, you know, there are procedures that can be followed um, to try and get to the answer of that question. Uh, and they require a forensic examination of the rec- you know, laboratory records um, to see what viruses was a particular lab, you know, working with, what does their data show, could this virus have uh, evolved or, or somehow even created itself uh, within the laboratory or did someone do an experiment that um, created the virus. So uh, that line of investigation would require access to the to the laboratory under investigation uh, and particularly the documents of that laboratory would give a very good uh, guide to whether you know this virus could have come out of that laboratory. For that to happen we would need cooperation from the Chinese government in terms of the most recent investigation by the World Health Organization in China they actually kind of in many ways ignored the lab leak theory altogether and focused a lot of their attention on the possibility of transmission through the wet markets in China where a lot of the first cases arose from. What would actually have to happen in terms of getting a hold of those records or or creating international pressure to get China to release those documents? Or do you think we just may never see them and therefore never be able to prove that theory? So clearly it's a difficult situation because, you know, to investigate something like a lab leak, you do need the cooperation um, of the country where the lab is based and, and as well as the cooperation of the um, the laboratory itself, and and clearly that is problematic right now. And and um, you know the Chinese government have indicated that they're not going to tolerate um, uh, any questioning, and and certainly are not um, interested in um, having anyone look at the records of of those laboratories. Um, so I think I think you know for the time being, as you say, other than international pressure to try and get. Chinese government to change their their position, that's going to be uh, very difficult. The question then is, is there another way in which you can uh, find that data? And um, a, a number of, of scientists have actually gone uh, browsing the web 
Um, and uh, it's extraordinary the amount of data these days, um, even from countries like China, that gets stored uh, on the web. And uh, if you know what you're doing, you can actually, um, you know, uh, find that data and, and analyze that data. And often within those data sets that scientists keep, um, they're clues to what they were doing in their laboratory. They're, they're, they're sort of like um, hidden signatures in a lot of gene sequence data. Uh, if, if, because most laboratory samples, believe it or not, are, are not 100% pure. They're always contaminated by the environment in the laboratory. So, for instance, if, if someone is doing an experiment on a mouse and they send some tissue away to be sequenced, um, and that sequence data within it may be um, small amounts of virus sequence data because someone on the next bench was working on a particular virus and you only need, you know, a few viral particles to contaminate um, the sequencing sample for that sequence to turn up in, uh, you know, a mouse a sequence sample. And so people have been doing this and, and identifying all sorts of interesting um contaminations of samples from these Chinese laboratories, which which do indicate that they were working on a whole variety of viruses. And, and so it may be an indirect way of finding out what was being done there, even if you can't get access directly to their laboratory records. So, so there are, I, I, I guess, more indirect methods that are now being used to try and answer some of these questions. It sounds like this is a very long journey ahead, though, and, you know, this is just maybe one small piece of finding out the origins of COVID. Do you see it as a, as a long-term thing that we m- may take years or we may never know the origins? Look, I, I would never say never. I mean, but, you know, uh, sometimes, you know, when you in science, when you look for something, you find it very quickly. Other, other times it can take decades. Um, and I think that that would be true of, of, of this situation where, you know, it, it obviously has not been easy to find the source of the virus. Uh, the Chinese themselves, you know, have tested um, hundreds of thousands of, of, of animals trying to find an animal source and have turned up nothing. Um, so, so you know, either it's, it's, it's hidden out there somewhere that, that's hard to find um, or they're looking in the wrong place. In other words, they're looking at, at animals when, when they should be looking uh, inside the laboratory. Um, but ultimately, if you keep looking, uh, eventually you generally will find. So uh, I, I'm still an optimist that providing we keep looking, um, then, you know, one day I hope we will actually find where this virus came from. In terms of that journey of searching for the origin of the virus, it was a very unpopular position and a research area at the start of the pandemic to entertain the idea that it was possibly a lab leak or that it had any type of human intervention and many people in the scientific community were very outspoken about the fact that it had to be, you know, a process of natural zoonotic diseases. What do you say to that now that you have come to the results that you have out of, out of Flinders University with your co-authors? So I think 
you know, in, in normally scientists are quite open-minded and science is all about, you know, vigorous debate um, to, to try and get to the truth. I think in this situation, um, obviously, scientists didn't want to think that science might have, you know, created this monster. Um, and, and so there was a natural inclination of scientists to say, look, it's better if, if this came... Uh, from a, a natural source, because the alternative that science, you know, even if it was rogue scientists might have created this or had a, a role to play in, a, in an accident that released this, uh, is going to reflect very badly on science. So it's, it's, it's not surprising that most scientists were, were, were certain, you know, very much biased towards, well, I hope this is a natural cause pandemic um, and I don't really want to contemplate the the possibility that it wasn't um, because you know that would have major implications um, particularly for people working uh, on viruses so I think there was a natural bias of scientists to um, to one you know prefer the the idea it came from an animal uh, and also there was a strong political element obviously playing at the time uh, you know, where we had the, the, the US president uh, come out and um, say that, you know, or, or suggest that he'd read information suggesting this was a laboratory leak. And, and of course, a lot of scientists um, would not have been aligned with that sort of what we'd say right-wing perspective. And so that then encouraged them again to go the other way and say, well, you know, that side of politics can't possibly be right. So that reinforces our view that this could only be a natural virus. So yes, it, you know, certainly, you know, early and through last year, uh, our perspective that this was an open question um, was was not sort of really welcomed by most in the scientific community. You know, we still don't know the answer. And, and we're not claiming to know the answer ourselves. We, we just want everyone to keep it an open question and keep looking. Professor Petrovsky, thank you for coming on the podcast. It's a pleasure. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of The Tea Room. You can search for The Tea Room Medical Republic to subscribe to the show. The music and artwork for The Tea Room is created by the wonderfully talented Victoria Nelson. Catch you next time.